welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's Wednesday, January 13th, 2021, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we want to discuss the sanctity of human life, and we want to talk about just the way that our culture views life, why it's so important that we biblically approach the way that we see life. And as we may know, this Sunday uh, will be Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And it's an important opportunity for the church to look at the sanctity of life, to, to come together, to rally behind the importance of life. But today, I hope that we can see that that rally for life is not just against abortion. Certainly, we must stand firm against abortion. We must, uh, we must advocate for laws that make abortion illegal. We must advocate for women to choose life. But our pro-life, fundamental sanctity of human life's platform is much, much bigger than just birth. It must extend from cradle to grave. It must extend from conception until the final moment that someone brings their last breath. We must care for life because as we know, we were created in the image of God. But before we get to the meat of these ideas, I want to remind you again that this Sunday, January 17th, is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. This is the Sunday that's closest to the historic Roe versus Wade landmark case. We use this day to mourn the, the great numbers of lives that have been lost through abortion. We use this day to take a stand for life and, and for that life that has been lost for that life that is in the womb, but also for that life and for our lives that are living. You can find free resources for your church like bulletin inserts and small group Bible studies at lifelinechild.org life matters. Again, that's lifelinechild.org backslash life matters. And there you will find many opportunities to, to get engaged with bulletin inserts, with small group curriculums with sermons that you can listen to and all matters of resources to help you and your church take a stand for life. Well, over the last 17, almost 18 years, it has truly been my privilege to serve the ministry of Lifeline along with my sweet wife, Ashley, and our family. And through those 17 years, we have seen and experienced so much joy, so much sorrow, so much laughter, and so, so much growth. Um, but through it all, the Lord continually has shown Ashley and I that he is able to do infinitely more than we could ever begin to imagine. And so the question that has really been burdened on our hearts and that we have continued to ask others is, are we willing to be inconvenienced in order to defend life? And, and I remember even in 2003, as Ashley and I were praying about this move and, and the personal move for me from being a public accountant into leading a, a pro-life ministry that, that focuses on vulnerable children and orphans and, and adoption and foster care was, were we willing to give up? Were we willing to leave a, a, a firm, to leave a way of life that would lead to prosperity, 
that would lead to all matters of opportunities? Um, what were we willing to be inconvenienced? Were we willing to give that up in order to take a, a, a stance, not just individually, but as a family and, and, and professionally to defend life? And for so long, I, and, and even today, I believe we've become a people, unfortunately, who want to be entertained. We want levels of comfort. We're willing to get our hands messy for the Lord as long as these are little bite-sized opportunities or, or little episodes, and, and it won't be a huge inconvenience to our goals, our plans, or our time. We're willing to speak out, but I'm unfortunately afraid that many times where we're reticent to actually get engaged, we're actually reticent to get involved because it becomes messy. But what our family has learned is that one of the hardest things about getting our hands dirty in the pro-life movement is it requires real-life engagement. This isn't just photo ops or opportunities to make a splash on social media. Being truly pro-life changes the way we look at everyday life. It changes the way of how we invest our lives in the lives of the broken and the hurting around us. It means that we take risk. It means that we get engaged with those women and not just until she gives birth, but we get engaged with women and we wrap our lives around them in a powerful discipleship oriented way. It's necessary for us to be passionate proponents of life in the womb. We must be a voice for the voiceless. We must counsel women going through unplanned pregnancies to preserve the lives of the unborn. We must lobby and pray for laws and lawmakers who understand the sanctity of life of the unborn. However, our advocacy, our passion, and our ethics must be so much more robust than just being against abortion. Rightly, we see abortion as murder and an affront against our creator, but we must also see our apathy against the injustice towards life beyond the womb as the great co-conspirator against our fight for life. You see, sympathy and empathy for others should never be an excuse for our apathy towards injustice. Just to feel sympathetic or just to feel uh, empathetic is not an excuse for us to sit on our couches or for us to sit in our convenience or for us to sit in our privilege and not reach out to those that are hurting, not reach out to those who are experiencing injustice. Brothers and sisters, if we are called to defend life, if we are called to defend life in the womb, we must also defend life that's outside of the womb. We must speak up for life. We must defend life. To illustrate, in 2019, I received a call from a friend and a ministry partner from Birmingham, Alabama. And Eric is an attorney, and he uses his practice to protect religious organizations and churches, as well as to fight for laws that eliminate abortion and value life. And Eric requested that I personally and, and Lifeline corporately support a new bill that he was introducing to the Alabama State Congress, which would make abortion a felony for those practitioners who perform the procedure. And so after much prayer and deliberation, obviously we knew we supported his bill, but, but, but we, were, we, were, we were praying through our ability to join this team. And, but we ended up joining the team by writing testimony, which showed that there are families willing to adopt an influx of children should the law pass. We were also asked to testify in person before both chambers of the state Congress in order to establish that as a state, we had the resources and ability to bring services for women and children. And the law was written to establish personhood of the unborn baby and was believed on a national level to be a legitimate bill which could sufficiently challenge Roe versus Wade. By God's grace and mercy, 
even with lots of national attention and local fights and, and backlash and, and many corporations trying to, to, to threaten Alabama's governor, Alabama's governor, Kay Ivey, signed the bill into law in May 2019. And, and the backlash was instant. Saturday Night Live departed from their normal farce-type humor and brought a five-minute tirade against the bill. Los Angeles banned travel for government officials to Alabama. And on opposing sides, U.S. politicians voiced their opinions. And at the time, American lawyer and politician and junior U.S. Senator from California, Kamala Harris, who we now know will be our vice president, uh, will will be inaugurated as the vice president this week. She actually spoke out against the bill in Alabama, too. She said this, she said, these folks down in Alabama who are doing this, these are the same folks who by the time the baby is born, they couldn't care less. What are they doing to support that mother and what she needs in terms of prenatal help? They're not doing a thing, but they're trying to tell a woman what to do with their bodies. We're going to tell them a thing or two. The sad reality is that while Vice President-elect Harris is misguided on her views from a biblical worldview, she does speak some important truth. Unfortunately, as a whole, our churches are not stepping up to support single mothers, drug addicts, and older teens trapped in foster care. Our churches are homogeneous racial havens that provide a safe retreat from the culture, as opposed to aggressive tapestries of grace, which give the gospel as the only antidote to society's woes. You see, if we truly have a pro-life ethic that values the Imago Dei, then we will exemplify and follow the model of Christ that Paul laid out for the church at Philippi. When he says in Philippians 2, 2 through 8, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I ask people all the time, what will our talking points be if by God's grace, abortion is made illegal? What action will we take? And the answer to these questions identifies if we are really pro-life or if we're just pro-birth. You see, will men step up and get off their smartphones and stop amusing themselves to death and join their wives in caring for the single mom in their sphere of influence to show her and her children a positive male role model? Will we be willing to sacrifice our time to mentor a woman or family that's in crisis and has lost children into state custody because of addiction, poverty, or poor poor decisions? Are we willing, no matter our stage of life, to use our home to foster children while they are displaced from their homes? Will we adopt children from the foster care system, from American women who need to place their babies instead of parent, or from children from other countries? Are we open to adopt these children no matter their past trauma, no matter their special need, and no matter their age? You see, being pro-life is not just about eliminating abortion. No, being pro-life means putting our families into action to live out our passion for guarding the Imago Dei. Being pro-life means that we defend life in such a way as to display an accurate view of the glory of God. Author and pastor and teacher John Piper says this. He says, one erects a statue of Stalin because you want to look at Stalin and think about Stalin. 
You put up a statue of George Washington to be reminded of the founding fathers. Images are made to image. And what does this mean for flesh and blood? It means God created little images of himself so they would talk and act and feel in a way that reveals the way God is. So the question is, are we willing to be inconvenienced in order to defend life? As image bearers, will we live out the gospel in such a way that we defend life and reveal the character of God? So I want us to look quickly at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And the theme of the book of Colossians is that Christ is Lord over all creation, including the invisible realm. That he has secured redemption for his people, enabling them to participate with him in his death, resurrection, and his fullness. And this is what Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, says, He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him and through him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So from this passage we see that all life is created by God and is precious. Oh, he is the image of the invisible God. All things were created through him. All life is created by God and it is precious. Genesis 1.27 reminds us that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. We see that not only does Paul say that God created man, but he highlights in verse 16 that all things were created through him and for him. So beloved, all life is created by God and is precious. All life has a purpose. We were not created in the womb by some simple conjugal act of a mom and a dad. We were created in the womb by a loving father who knits us together, who forms us like a potter and who fashions us in his image, no matter the syndrome or the need we may have. All life is created by God and is precious. Men and women are, are uniquely and wonderfully made by God. Humanity was created for God. We were created as man and woman in unique ways, but ultimately we were created for God. Genesis 1.1 tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John says in John 1.14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen the glory, glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. So whether you eat or drink, 1 Corinthians 10.31 or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Colossians says that he is before all things and in him all things hold together, that he is the head of the body and that in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We defend life because life isn't a choice. Life isn't an inconvenience. And ultimately, we are not the owners or controller of life. God is. 
as sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we defend life and show justice because all life was made for the glory of our God. The church of Corinth mirrors our modern day culture. It was a bastion of art, pleasure, romance, and sensual pleasure. But Paul continued to exhort the church that the things of the flesh and the pleasure of the world will never truly fulfill and bring peace and satisfaction. The truth is, beloved, we are far too easily pleased. I love what C.S. Lewis said in his work, The Weight of Glory. He said, our desires are not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Beloved, life in the womb is precious and life outside the womb is special. We must never mark our lives or the lives of others as an inconvenience. When we find pure delight in Christ and in the Lord, then we are willing to do inconceivable things to the world, all for the glory of our all-satisfying Savior. Oh, we glorify God by our works of gospel-driven justice towards humanity. One of the ways that we glorify God is by performing the works of the kingdom of our marvelous Father. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he went to the synagogue of his hometown in Nazareth, and he quoted from a portion of Isaiah 61. Luke 4, 16-21 reports this for us. And, and, and Jesus reads the scripture that says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says that he rolled the scroll up, he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth into the synagogue and reads the extremely familiar passage from Isaiah 61. This passage would have been a familiar and hopeful passage. And then he says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's like an ultimate mic drop. The people may have thought that Jesus was just another prophet like John the Baptist foretelling the, the coming of the Messiah. They didn't understand before this that Jesus was the Messiah. But I don't want us to miss the method by which the Messiah would usher in the kingdom. You see, what we see in Luke is not only a pronouncement of Jesus as Messiah, but it's also an outline of his mission. And it is the mission that he ultimately gives to the church and to his chosen people. And it's a pro-life mission. It's a mission to care for the marginalized. It's a, it's a mission to care for the captives. It's a mission to care for the blind. It's a mission to care for the oppressed. And I want us to see that orphans and vulnerable children and their families are all encapsulated in each of these distinct groups. They're captive. They're captive physically. And we should be mobilized to release people from the captivity of alcohol and drugs and pornography and perverse sexuality and gluttony. It ought to grieve us as image bearers of God that there are people that are held captive by foreign powers, slave owners, or evil governments. We must be moved into action. However, not only are children and people held in physical captivity, they are also imprisoned in spiritual captivity, and we must go and preach and show the gospel. But then we also saw the blind. And beloved, we must never be indifferent to disability and disease. Freely we have received our help, so freely let us care for those who suffer through sickness. 
There are orphans around the world who need to be adopted who are blind, deaf. They have Down syndrome, Turner syndrome, or another ailment. And we must advocate for them passionately. But not only do we see the physically blind, we must also be vigilant about healing others from the blindness of unbelief in the gospel of Christ Jesus. But then Jesus also tells us to look after the oppressed. Physically, we show compassion, empathy, and gospel action for those who are powerless and abused. This includes caring for the orphan, the widow, and the stranger alien. This is showing gospel hospitality through adoption, fostering, visiting, provisioning, and loving care. As the church, we seek to bring restoration to families who have lost their children to foster care, as well as to restore families through adoption and foster care. We've been called to liberate the oppressed, but also there are those who are oppressed by sin. We must preach the gospel to them. Because true restoration comes when they shake loose from the power of sin to the blood of Christ Jesus. But as we look at being pro-life, we also know that true hope comes from the guarantee of Christ. That this fallen world is not our true home. As we've seen the events unfold in, in 2020 with a global pandemic and racial injustice and strife and polarization and, and one of the, the most polarized elections of our lifetime, if, if maybe not in the history of the United States. As we start 2021 and we see coups and insurrections happening in our very capital. When we see the, the hurt and the pain and the death and the sickness around us, let us be reminded as pro-life people. That true hope comes from the guarantee of Christ. That this fallen world, this is not our home. Verse 20 of Colossians chapter 1. Paul says that God reconciled all things in heaven and earth to himself. We serve a reconciling God who invites us to participate with him. This is good news and provides great hope. When we know that this fallen world is not our true home, it helps us to risk all things for the sake of the sanctity of life. It helps us to, to, to risk all things for the sake of injustice so that we, as God's image bearers, will show his glory. Love the way John Piper says it. He says, all grace was purchased by the blood of the cross and is emphatically a grace for estranged and hostile sinners. This is the gospel. And the gospel is the good news that there's hope for sinners, the worst sinners, the hope of forgiveness, a weeping harlot saved by faith, the hope of reconciliation, a prodigal coming home, the hope of holiness, a leper cleansed by the touch of Jesus. Oh, beloved, the gospel reminds us this is not our home. And this propels us to risk our comfort and our security for the sake of life and for the sake of the kingdom. We aren't living for our kingdom here, but we are living with hope for another home. John Newton gives a, a great analogy. He says, suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a very large estate and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we would think if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering all the remaining mile. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. Beloved, our God is great. He owns it all and he is in control and we have a heritage. We have a possession to take and it is the possession of Christ Jesus. And so we follow him in caring for the orphan. We follow him in taking the gospel to our neighbors. We follow him in loving the poor and needy and we follow him in defending life from conception to death. We do justice in this earthly kingdom in order to show and tell others of our true home. This world is like looking at our reflection in a broken or shattered mirror. We see not perfection, but the flaws. However, if we look closely enough, we can see beautiful glimpses of what God created this world to be. 
Each year, my family and I have been blessed by dear friends to use their beach house in early fall. And these trips are such a rich blessing and have been times of true and deep refreshment. We look forward with anticipation to this beach week. However, each week has had its own funny troubles or imperfection. One week, an escaped convict was hiding out in the small community and was apprehended after a 48-hour manhunt about 100 yards from where we were sleeping. Then there were years of sandworms, little needles in the ocean. We've experienced the red tie, sand lice, biting flies, an overpopulation of seaweed. This last year, right before we were going, our son broke his arm. But even though we look out to the ocean and the beauty of these weeks, we realize that these aren't perfect weeks. But they're simply a sliver of the glory of God as we stare at the ocean, enjoy the pastels of the setting sun, and bask in the salty ocean breeze. Beloved, creation is marred. But if we are a Christ follower, we know this is not our true home. We are exiles and pilgrims. Just like Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. A marred creation in a sin-sick world should not surprise or shock us. Sinners sin and lost people at lost. As such were we before we were washed by the blood of Christ. So pilgrim and refugee looking forward to the coming kingdom, take heart but also take action. We of all people know the, of the coming kingdom and must speak out for life created in the image of God. We must demonstrate gospel-driven justice for the orphan, the widow, the poor, the vulnerable, and the stranger. When we speak up and reach out in the love of Christ, we are putting a taste of the coming kingdom onto the lips of those around us. It's like the Japanese hibachi restaurant at the food court of every local mall. If you remember pre-COVID, they would stand in the corridor giving out samples of teriyaki and bourbon chicken. Not so that you would be able to have a meal, not so that the taste of that would satisfy, but so that the sample would leave you craving for more. If we live out lives that are dedicated to the sanctity of human life, lives of radical obedience, we will be ignored by some, hated by others, and mocked just like the poor guy hawking the chicken at the mall. However, to those who take notice and sample the glory of God, Lord willing, they will develop a thirst for which only the grace of God will satisfy. This is not our home. So instead of blending in with this world, let's live in such a way as to demonstrate that we are aliens and visitors who are longing for our true home, a home where the image bearers of God live in the presence of the true King. Beloved, Gospel-driven justice and standing up for the sanctity of human life. It will bring trials and it will bring suffering. But take heart. Jesus brings peace, joy, hope, and strength. And Colossians tells us, as Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am willing to take up the affliction for the sake of the body. That is the church. Orphans and vulnerable children live in a world of darkness and beloved, the, the church has been charged to take the gospel and the justice of Christ to pierce the darkness through the ways we pray, serve, go, give, adopt, and foster. The vulnerable stranger and fatherless all live in darkness. And so when we take the light of the hope of the gospel, we can expect and assume that Satan will counterattack. When we speak out for women, 
who are, who are pregnant. When we speak out for life in the womb, we can expect attack, but we cannot be surprised when darkness strikes back at the light. For those of you who are weary and burdened by the struggle and attacks of the adversary, know that he is attacking because he deems you as a threat. But I implore you not to shrink back from doing good. Oh, God always calls us to more than we can handle ourselves. Yet he will always give us his abiding presence. But even as we talk about the sanctity of human life and speaking out for the sanctity of human life and gospel-driven justice, we need to remember that all of our speaking, all of our works, all of our, our advocacy, if it is separated from gospel proclamation, then it indeed is futile. Colossians 1.23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Beloved, there is life in no other but the God of Jacob. There is just, may justice never be divorced from gospel proclamation. Our homes, our neighborhoods, our pocketbooks, and our influence will never make the everlasting change in the hearts and the lives of the fatherless and the vulnerable. But the gospel will bring everlasting hope and victory. As our father's children, we know we have been given a task. We've been given a great commission. We have future family members that need to be claimed among the nations. And our father has said, go. And so we go. And the heart of the ministry here at Lifeline is to proclaim the gospel to the nations through care, compassion, rescue, and discipleship of the fatherless. Let's pray that the gospel will always be central in everything that we do. Let's pray that the Lord will continue to open doors for his name to be proclaimed, not only here in the U.S., but also in the streets of India, in the institutions of China, to the communities of Ethiopia, as well as in every hamlet, village, and people group, which represents every tribe, tongue, and nation. Beloved, the Lord, he is worthy. Life is created and formed and fashioned in his image. Life is sacred Life is, 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 is sanctified because it was made by God. So I want to invite us as we look at this time, let's take action, but let's also pray. Ten ways that I want to encourage you to pray as we close for the sanctity of human life. First, pray for a softening of the hearts of U.S. governors, state lawmakers, and Congress to the gospel. Pray for them to see babies in the womb and their mothers as valuable people made in the image of God. Second thing we can pray is pray for women around the world who feel as if they have no other option than to end the life of their unborn child. Let's pray for these women. Not cast stones at them, not castigate them, but pray for them. Third, we can pray for the fathers of unborn children. We can pray that they will encourage women to choose life for their child and that they would get involved with appropriate support for life. Let's pray that these dads would not become deadbeats that leave these women alone, but that these dads would be dads that would support life and life to the fullest. Let's pray. The fourth way is we can pray for the church. We pray that she will be able to show love and compassion to women in unexpected pregnancies. We pray that she will continue this love and compassion after the birth of the child and even after an abortion decision. Fifth, we can pray for Christ-exalting pregnancy resource centers throughout the U.S. and the world. We can pray for their protection, 
We could pray that, that they would have provision financially. And we could pray that women in unexpected pregnancies will be connected with them. Six, let's pray for abortion providers in the U.S. and around the world. Let's pray for their salvation and for their eyes to be open to the precious lives they are seeking to abort. Let's pray that they would be convicted by the abortions that they have performed. Seventh way is we could pray for those providing abortion recovery services. We could pray that women will connect to them and that will learn about forgiveness and redemption that comes from Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus alone. Eighth, we could pray for OBGYNs. We could pray that the pro-life OBGYNs will flourish and women will be led divinely to these practices. Ninth, we could pray that the Lord will use whatever means necessary to give women truthful information about the adoption option. That women won't hear lies about adoption, but will see the truth and will want to seek adoption. Tenth, we pray that God, in miraculous ways, women will connect with Christ-exalting adoption and pregnancy counseling ministries so that they will have an opportunity to see, to hear, to know the precious gospel of Christ Jesus. We pray for the salvation of women and children. Today is the day. Now is the time that we must be inconvenienced in order to defend life. Will you join us? Will you defend the sanctity of life? Because all life is made in the image of God. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast. <music>